0: This is Scott Bakula, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast.
1: Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better.
0: are listening to the quantum leap podcast this is episode 108 prelude by ashley mcconnell welcome to the quantum leap podcast everyone i'm christopher de Filippis. i'm allison pregler and i'm matt dale and welcome back, one and all, to the most current meeting of the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club. Today, we will be discussing yet another novel by Ashley McConnell. This is the fourth novel in the book series, Prelude, and it tells the story of Sam's first leap, the untold story, apparently, according to the sticker on the cover. It looks like a sticker, but it's, it's really printed on,
2: right? <laughs> Cheats. <laughs> Do you guys have that in the box tree edition or no? I got both in front of me now. Neither of them are stickers.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry I'm
2: bringing that up. It's just the weirdest thing about the cover to me. Really? The bad cutting out of the mountain isn't the weirdest thing about the cover? That's horrific. Well, I expect bad mountain cutouts from Quantum Leap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'm really
3: impressed by Salmonelle's eyeliner. <laughs> look, they got a lot of eyeliner going, especially, like, Al. Like, he's got, like, the full, like, blue velvet eyeliner going on Yes. It's very good. Do you think that was a
0: source picture for this? It does look. It's very, very TOS. Yeah. they got the guy
2: liner going.
3: <laughs> it's got to, you know, show up good on the cover.
2: It's beautiful. Makes his eyes pop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... I usually read the synopsis blurb, but I want Matt to read it this time.
2: Matt, will you read it, please? Yes, sure. Here's how it all began. Dr. Sam Beckett wasn't always a leaper, and Admiral Al Calavici wasn't always a holographic image. In 1993, at Stallions Gate, New Mexico, Sam and Al were ordinary men with extraordinary ambitions. Project Quantum Leap was only a dream. What was the secret that made Ziggy much more than a machine? Why did Sam really want to travel in time? Where was Al that fateful winter night? And who almost destroyed the dream before it began? The answers are just a leap away. Quantum Leap Prelude. All new adventure, first time in print. (laughs) Sorry, Wow. got carried away at the end there. I
0: got tingles. (laughs) I just wanted to see how you were going to say extraordinary. And you did not disappoint, sir.
2: (laughs) I would usually just say extraordinary, but when it's in that sentence, you've got to say extraordinary in comparison to the ordinary, it's it, it pushed me that way.
3: That was a really innovative way of saying it. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> it's not my Britishness. It's just the, the way... Are you wearing your aluminium hat? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's channeling from the universe all the good positive energy. The extraordinary energy. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Galaxy.
0: Mm. Oh, all right. Well, I got to say, guys, I was really excited to reread this book. And uh, I got a real kick out of the author's note, because I know we've been taking Ashley to task for some of the differences in her books, as opposed to what we saw on screen. And I know that we've gotten some listener feedback regarding that specifically. And I love it that Ashley is just giving everybody a big calm down,
2: backdoor FU in the author's (laughs) note. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, don't. Don't with those author's notes.
3: Okay, so, well, the book begins with her uh, basically saying, like, hey, a lot of you guys have pointed out that um that it's his body, and then we're going with the mind. Um, But to be fair, uh, the first season uh, didn't make it clear uh, what yes, was going did. on. Um, But why is she saying the first season? She references things from season five throughout it. like yes. th- It was well past the first season, so it really didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, Of course, like I don't blame her for like not knowing every little detail, you know, but um, there are certain things that were established on the show by that point, and certainly if you're referencing Trilogy, which she does, you would know he had a daughter and that it'd have to be his body if it was his daughter, so uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense what she
2: says. And there is nothing in Prelude that had to carry that on. I know we'll come onto the details later, but any continuity issues or inconsistencies that are in Prelude did not have to be there. She put them in herself knowing full well that they were going to be an issue.
3: Yeah. <laughs> she just
1: did...
0: Well, in her defense, um, you guys are maybe thinking about Prelude by itself, but she's got to go all the way back to her first book, to corny knowledge, uh, the novel, and she's trying to keep her little corner of the universe that she created consistent. That's the way I saw her, you know, so even though it maybe got increasingly inaccurate, she was saying, well, this is the way I set it up, so this is probably the way I should carry through.
3: Sure. Well, I mean, when she wrote the first novel, she was referencing shock theater. Like, it was well past Mm -hmm. when they had established what was going on. It was well past season one, at any rate, which is what she uses as an excuse, which I think I'd conflated in my mind to say that, like, maybe, like, she hadn't seen the rest of the show yet, and it started a lot earlier than it did, but it hadn't. Like, she was referencing things from way later.
0: Yeah, yeah all right i mean i just i i really wanted to point this out because i love the line that she writes here it may help the determined purist to consider the <laughs> books an alternate universe version <laughs> of quantum leap which determined purist is the greatest way of saying you gatekeeping fanholes. fan
3: holes <laughs> <Just> yeah, like- <laughs> okay
1: okay on the one
3: hand i agree with her there are some people that get too up in arms about it but on the other hand uh Look, this isn't what happened in my mind. This isn't what happened in my mind because it is, like, a lot different and it's, like, things that are kind of fundamental to the show. And especially uh, this book in particular... Um, if you're going to do a prequel to the show uh, that leads right into the pilot, what little you have of the pilot in it needs to actually be what happened in the pilot. <laughs> yes. and it isn't. So it is just an alternate dimension. And I can enjoy it in that way. I've said this about some of the other books, too. Like, just because it doesn't match up with exactly how I saw the show or how it's even presented on the show itself uh, doesn't mean that it can't be an enjoyable story. And, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one.
2: There's levels of determined purism. There's the point where, yeah, something doesn't quite make sense. So you stamp your foot and you say, no, I don't like this. And then you get the level that I'm at, where my mind will jump somersaults to try and figure out how to jam it into established continuity. And the <laughs> it's only, all there. <laughs> the only thing that I cannot make work in the entire Quantum Leap canon is the bit that Allison's referring to at the moment, where the the, the lady in the desert is not the... Right, lady in the desert. I just, I can't. (laughs) we'll we'll get to that. Well, she writes though. She says,
0: she says one might take Prelude to be the story not of quote how things happened, but one version of how things might have been. In one
3: timeline, this is how it occurred.
0: Maybe, and I think if you look at the conceit that she has, every time Al walks out of the imaging chamber in earlier books, reality is subtly different. Who's to say that this isn't a different reality that wasn't altered somehow after Sam
2: leapt? Well, we'll we'll get onto that as well.
3: I mean, this is kind of how they pitch the book, right? They're like all of the, all of your answers are here and it's like, well, maybe this is this might be what the answers are. <laughs> this is an alternate version of what it could have been,
2: but this is a follow-up <laughs> to Too Close for Comfort, but it's set in a timeline pre Donna becoming Sam's wife. Donna is nowhere to be seen. So this, this has to be before Starcrossed has changed everything. And yet it opens with a leaping Sam giving Al his first tie. And uh, yeah, there's, there's stuff in there that just didn't didn't have to be there. Except to annoy me, God knows how many years later. <laughs> the changing timeline thing, it changes through the book. It
0: does. It does. Yeah. But I, I feel like we're maybe jumping the gun a little bit. I mean, um, yes. I know I usually yes. start with initial First impressions, impressions, guys. Yeah, I think initial impressions. <laughs> and if you guys don't mind, I'll start with it, mine. Um, I loved it. I I, I got to be honest with you. The first three books felt like, okay, these are, I guess, Quantum Leap books, but this felt like Quantum Leap to me. Like, I, I, I enjoyed the journey of this book. There are parts that I disagreed with. There are parts that I thought were, you know, stronger than others or weaker than others. But on the whole, I was just happy from start to finish uh, reading this adventure and, and knowing at least Ashley's version of how the project came to be. And all <laughs> the stuff that was in here, I thought was it was just really, really genuine enjoyable how about you Allison
3: yeah I think this is the best of the Ashley McConnell books Uh, I really enjoyed it it was uh, such a huge step up from the last one to me (laughs) and um I'd complained when we watched or when we read the wall that uh that Sam and Al just didn't feel like Sam and Al like a lot of the interactions like weren't telling us a lot about how they were feeling the situation there's a ton of that in this there's a ton of stuff it's all about these characters, and I think it's a great little window in what, into what they possibly could have been like pre-leaping. How about you, Matt?
2: Yeah, I adore this book. This is the, I mean, it's its the only book in the whole range that really does something that could never have been done in the TV series um, and in the TV budget. So its it makes the most of the format. It's a lot of fun. Like Alison says, the characterization is is spot on. Ninety nine percent of it seems absolutely plausible to me. I know we've we already jumped in and started picking apart at bits, but almost all of this I, I see as completely canon, very enjoyable. Um yeah, I I love this. It's great. Ah, oh, finally something that we can sink our teeth into as as fans, instead
0: of saying, well, uh, I don't know but Yeah. Yeah, I mean but there I mean for all that there are some goofy things in this book. I think like super goofy things in this book, but uh enjoyably goofy and as you said Matt, um this does take place um right after uh the events of Too Close for Comfort and I thought the callback to Too Close Too Comfortable was actually kind of <laughs> neat because yeah, it's really it cement like like it. the book universe as as a thing.
3: I really enjoyed that it started with the ending of Too Close for Comfort, but from Al's point of view. So he's talking to Ross, uh, was it Malachi? Malachi? Malachi. Yeah, he's talking to him not knowing that it's Sam. We know that it's Sam, but this is all his perspective and and how it leads into him being contacted by Sam at the project and, and all of that stuff. And I thought that was great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um one thing that I was reading especially carefully about was um we knew when Sam left out so how did Ashley write Ross when he came back? And you know that's a special interest of mine. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> but uh I thought that she handled it pretty well but it was also like Ross kind of knew too much. Like, how do they get this exchange of information? When Sam is is leaping out and Ross is leaping back in, did, like, they swap neurons and mesons? Did, does he pick up some <laughs> residual memory from Sam? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, he was just in the waiting room for, you know, however long it took to do all of that stuff. Stop the shopping mall uh, robbery. And, you know, he all of a sudden, he knows Steno. He knows exactly what happened. And I just want to know how. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Hmm. I mean, I guess you gotta kinda... uh, My headcanon has always been that the people remember what they need to remember when they come back. Otherwise, the entire show, there's so many leaps where it's like, well, this just falls apart as soon as Sam leaves.
2: (laughs) So they have to remember something. How many people suddenly discover they're engaged? Yeah, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I know we saw on the show uh, in Double Identity, when the guy leaps back, that he doesn't seem to remember anything. But, um... I don't know. It could be like slightly Swiss cheesed. I think like the, it's – if you just kind of headcanon, there's little masons and neurons, something that hmm. gives them enough to know the important stuff.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the way I think that I have looked at it because otherwise you just – you have to have some kind of headcanon for it. And that to mm-hmm. me seems to make the most sense in-universe – But all that being said, I mean, it shows the level of engagement that I had just reading into an alternate take on a scene from a book I read a couple of months ago and being like, oh, this is great. Okay, so where, how does this fit with this? And Oh, it's great having it be a shared universe and continue into each other
3: when Quantum Leap, the show, most episodes are kind of self-contained. They do have some through lines, but as far as like, you know – what happened on this last leap? And then here's what happened afterwards. And here's how the person reacted to the person that leaped in and all this other stuff. Like, he didn't really get that kind of stuff.
0: No, and I guess because just the nature of uh, the way that they had to do the TV show, I'm sure that we'll probably well, maybe not. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be neat if there's a way to work that kind of dynamic into the reboot? when they're when they're finally able to you know to do a bunch of episodes back to back
3: i feel like uh, once so... the show gets its footing i think they're going to start slow cuz you got to kind of get establish these characters and these um how the show's going to be but i think once they get into it it's going to get delightfully complicated cuz you can do that now you can get a lot more complicated than they could in 1990 whatever
2: let's hope yeah There's plenty of opportunity for ongoing storylines in the present day. And if they're going to go down that route and force it to be viewed in a certain order, unlike the original series, why not then, yeah, also take the opportunity to start linking some of the leaps together? Not in the way that trilogy was, but yeah, in a more complicated way. I hadn't even considered that. I'm I'm just quietly thinking through that in my head. That's very exciting.
3: Ooh, it's exciting.
2: But something that didn't happen back in the 90s. So, yeah, this was, um, it was cool that Ashley went there. I don't think most of the books particularly go there either. A lot of the books stand alone.
3: I think it's just her kind of Ashley McConnell universe. It's her world. We're just living in it, you know?
2: I'm cool Um, with that.
3: There's something to be respected about that. She had like, she thought about the world and it it wasn't necessarily what matched up with the show, but she had a a concise idea of what she wanted to do and tied it all together. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, and
0: she had a unique opportunity among the tie-in authors, ex- except for maybe Liz Storm, who was also one of the um few multiple – I don't think Carol's books particularly jive, but I don't remember. It's been so long since I read them. Um But she was able to call upon – Three past books to say, okay, how can I now start making this interesting? How can I start interconnecting this? And as a writer, that's, that's gold. And I think also just as a fan, I could tell Ashley's having fun here, like especially chapter two. Where you get Sam's point of view for the first time. I'm just basically like squeeing fanboy. And I'm having so much fun reading it. I can't imagine how much fun she was having writing it. Because she's finally able to let her hair down a little bit. And talk about all the fan stuff that we all want to read about. Instead of, you know, keeping it to the parameters of the TV show. And uh, that's what I think makes this book so much different than the others. Because it's not a leap. It's it's the story of Sam and Al.
3: yeah. What I got from this is a lot of the characterizations are kind of headcanons that I had about the characters, which matched up. Like, I'm like, yeah, this seems like this would be how it was. Um, there's a lot of stuff about how Sam is such a genius that he's just so alienated from other people. There's a lot of stuff about how lonely he is, how disconnected he is. And um the fact that he was so young when he went to college, the fact that there's this disconnect with him and his family, and he just doesn't know why. Why did he miss his dad's funeral? Why can't he just call mm. up his mom and his sister or visit them in Hawaii or all of this stuff? And the fact that he's talking to other geniuses, and they don't know what he's talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, just like
3: how how different he is from the rest of the world and that really would isolate yourself from everyone. And and the fact that um, Al has felt followed a very similar isolating path, the fact that these two lonely people found each other, is so interesting to me.
2: Yeah, and it, it makes a lot more sense when you start to think about the fact that Sam was willing to prematurely step into the quantum leap accelerator and vanish, that he he didn't have this connection with the rest of the world and we previously we'd only seen that for 10-15 minutes in the leap back we've only seen what sam is like in his own world every other episode we've seen sam as a fish out of water so you almost expect all right when he's when he's in his own time he's in his own place he shouldn't be a fish out of water he should be comfortable and at home but he's not he's still got that disconnect like you say Alison.
3: The only time he seems super comfortable is when he is told the project is shut down and he's <laughs> he dives into the work. He's happy. It says that he's yeah. happy to be doing this work. Mm. He's happy to throw himself into the science, which is what he really wants to focus on. That's why Al is doing the administrative stuff, because Sam's like, I don't want to do all this stuff. I want to do science. I don't want to do deal yeah. with all these senators <laughs> and all this other stuff. Like, I got, I got to use my brain. It's like, take care of it, Al. Just take
0: care of it, okay? You'll take care of it, <laughs> right? Take care of
3: it, Al. I love he's just like, take care of it, do it, Al. This is your thing. <laughs> Al's the one dealing with the senators and with the political and military people and all this stuff. Like, he's like, you do that, I'll do this.
0: Yeah, it, it was really a great dynamic to see. And this is the first book that Ashley's written where Seven and Al seem like friends to me, like genuine friends. And I think it goes back to what oh, you yeah, said, yeah. Allison. We got into their heads and learned about what they care about. It wasn't just plot-specific driven by the needs of the leap. It was more of a character-focused piece on the journey that these two were taking together. And um, I, I think that any fan would be hard-pressed to not enjoy the majority of this book, even though um, it can be maybe a, an alternate use universe take on getting to uh, Genesis. Who knows? Because like like we've pointed out before, there are some things that just don't match um, <laughs> but kind of match. So I really loved that we had a lot of oblique callbacks in that second chapter. Uh, he was thinking about uh, seeing Captain Galaxy and Future Boy because he was like, when did I come up with my strength theory? I think yeah, I died. I he
3: them- vaguely recalls mm. that. I don't understand why he vaguely recalls other leaps but then not other things that happen, like so, he vaguely recalls the future boy thing, which would place that after it. And there's the thing with Ross Malachi at the beginning, but Donna's not there, Tom's not there, so those leaps haven't happened. So uh, some things have, but other things haven't.
0: Yeah, and you know, the funny thing is, I think when you're writing, um, and this was my case anyway, uh, I think whatever works better dramatically. Um, there were times in foreknowledge where I refer to the fact that Tom is dead. But also then I refer to things that were changed on leaps because Sam is obviously leaping, you know, throughout this. And someone pointed it out to me saying, how come Tom is dead here, but it's after Vietnam? And it never even occurred to me while I was writing it because narratively and dramatically, it was much more interesting for Sam to be in this headspace. And if he can remember both histories, then why not play with the fact that maybe he doesn't remember that he saved his brother. Or or whatever. But it never even, I got to be honest with you, it never even occurred to me. And it might not have occurred to Ashley. She might have been writing in the moment and picked some things that were good examples to highlight what she wanted to get across that were within the canon of the show and um, just went with it. So I, I can see what you're saying though about that inconsistency. It, did it happen? Did it not happen? Is he leaping? Is he not leaping? Is is this is this a timeline affected by his leaping yet? Well, obviously, because he was Ross in the beginning. So there was a leaper out there. So I I understand what you're saying. But for me, that wasn't a deal breaker. For me, for me that makes it a little bit more interesting. Maybe that's a
2: self-serving argument. <laughs> I'm surprised. Sorry, I'm just double checking. In my book, I did not point out Tom being dead uh, in foreknowledge was a goof um and that's the kind of thing that i should have been all over because obviously it was it, like you say it if it makes dramatic and narrative sense then fine and i i try and pick up on that kind of stuff but i'm sure i glossed over it because it was so well handled
0: yeah and to me that's a compliment because you were so caught up in the moment narratively yes and thematically that it made sense yes but Listen, let's put a pin in that for, you know, 16 years from now, when we're yeah, talking about no. foreknowledge, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. we can see how well I actually did it. In my mind's eye, in my memory, I did pretty good, but that was 30 years ago. So. <laughs> and I haven't read the book in probably 20 years.
2: <laughs> and I'm going to say, that sounds like a kind of an offhand, when when I say it like that, it sounds like I'm making an offhand insult to Ashley, and, it, and it's not that at all. I'm slightly more picky about Prelude because of the amount of... Law and data points that you can get from the book that no matter how good it is and how engaging it is, I still was picking through it with a fine tooth comb for stuff for my book. So I, I picked up on a lot more stuff than that I think most readers would not have done.
0: Yeah. And I think that you're also looking to see how this fits into the lead up to Genesis. Yes. So it has a significant burden that other books in the series didn't. And for all that, I think that she handles herself well here. Yeah. But uh, that being said, I mean, there are some goofy things in here and a lot, a ton of lore and um, just mm. different things that she brings up. I love the fact that it's a cabal of mad, evil scientists that are the <laughs> <laughs> antagonists in
1: this I love voice? it. Because that's
3: it. the part that's the weakest to me. I the, know that's the why the weird I love it. It's so freaking goofy. There's, okay, <laughs> for people who have not read the book or perhaps need a refresher, there is a group of people called the Non-Luddites, who are like, um, they're basically just extremists, techno extremists, who are like just technology and progress above anything else, and uh, they've considered Sam as sort of this the symbol of that. Uh, and one of the guys who worked with Sam at Project Starbright, and we are a bunch of white people who looked up how to pronounce this, and we, we came up with something, I think, Yen Sui Lung. I think we'll it's how you that. pronounce it. We will be calling him Yen, but we're trying our best here. Um, he worked with Sam at Project Starbright, and he was very pissed off that Sam shut down Project Starbright. Uh, so he decides that he's going to kill him and then take <laughs> over his project um, so that he can use Perfect it to sense. travel faster than the speed of light or something. <laughs> And so he's yeah. sitting there in the shadows like, I've got my spies. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: very Bond-like. I loved it. And and I am not one to throw shade on an antagonist that is out to kill Sam. That's all I'm saying.
3: <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting in that it it is something very personal because it's literally Sam, not someone that Sam's inhabiting or someone that, that Sam has temporarily become. It is Sam himself he's got the beef with. Um, I don't know about this Yen guy. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. It feels a little racist to me, to be honest. Really? Really? I didn't pick up on that. It does, because he's, like, the one... There's, like, I think there's maybe one other Asian person there or something, but, like, he's, like, the one, like, Asian guy villain... Who like is, is a third generation American, but he somehow talks with no contractions in this mohaha way. And then he, he's compared to Fu Manchu at one point. Like all of it feels a little like it, it didn't age that well. That kind of came off that way.
0: I, I can't say I didn't notice that. Um, but at the same time, I thought that it was so kind of over the top anyway that it still worked for me like it, it it, didn't diminish the book for me it was just like all right this is already goofy so why not make it as goofy as possible and <laughs> uh, you know I, maybe that's insensitive i don't know
3: well no i mean i i did kind of like some of the motivations like he's just so mad at sam for being so smart and then not giving them what they want like he's like how dare you be the smartest person in the world, but you can't give us faster than light travel. You can't do this. You shut down this project because, because you want to do your own thing. Like you have access to the knowledge, but you aren't using it. So I found that kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that's also a misguided sort of anger because Sam makes the point of saying he shut down project Starbright because because um, it was unworkable. And there's yeah. even a line where he says first time, then space, and without understanding mm. the time part of it, we'll never understand the space part of it. So, I yeah. you could see that he was maybe self-serving in that argument, but Sam, being Sam, I don't think that he would just pull back if he thought he could make progress on like an FTL drive.
3: Yeah, I don't think like Sam was doing it for selfish reasons. I think like he he thought exactly that. But that's uh, how Yen saw it.
0: How cool is it that Starbright was about faster than light travel? That's very ambitious and I think fits in with the quantum leap universe, uh, very nicely. I never would have thought of that myself. I'm always saying to myself, what is Starbright? What could it possibly be? But yeah, let's go big, you know, FTL. I thought it was great. So why don't we stay on the Starbright stuff here? Because there was a lot of really good Starbright stuff. I, I like the fact that, um, Sam knows Gushy from Starbright. So Gushy is a Starbright holdover. Mm-hmm.
3: Right, but it doesn't seem like Tina is, because he mentions knowing Tina, but I don't think they mentioned how he knows her. I guess from the scientific community, he seems to have this great respect for her.
2: That gets explored in a later novel, but uh, yeah, at this point, there's not really... Oh, okay. Yeah, but the, yeah, it seems to be that Gushy was
0: a holdover because he knew that Gushy could handle the programming.
3: Yeah, which matches what a lot of people think because they think that that uh, that star pin has something to do with Starbright, and he was wearing that in the pilot.
0: (laughs) Ah, I hadn't even considered that. And uh, it, yeah, according to everything that I was able to glean from this book, Sam sought out Tina specifically because he knew that she would be the only one that could actually handle the construction of the computer and the hardware and the things. And uh, Ashley's made a point of saying that despite the Valley speak, uh, Tina is probably as smart, maybe even smarter than Sam <laughs> in some respects. I love how they
2: play with the uh, the Valley speak stuff. And she doesn't she doesn't try and actually doesn't try and play it down. She could just easily say, "All right, when we last saw Tina, she sounded like a ditz, but we need to make her intelligent, so let's let's change her vocal patterns." But she absolutely leans into it, and they've got there's that wonderful bit where where Sam and Tina are talking, and Sam just doesn't even seem to notice the way she's talking, and he's just talking to her like an equal. It's it's I I love the way that she handles Tina in this.
3: I love that um, Al thinks that she's a complete dumbass when he meets her. And then like <laughs> yes. she starts talking to Sam and he's just sitting there like, what? <laughs> what are they yeah. talking about now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was some good Tina stuff. Um, I liked that we saw a bit of Tina and Al in a relationship, not just fighting. We got to see how they interact with each other, so that was nice. When, when Tina's like, well, maybe they just don't know me as well as you do, and I was like, God, I hope
0: not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tina got to do something besides her nails in this book, and I mean that in every sense of the way. Yeah,
3: though she did do her nails. Yeah, she, she was did, doing yes. her nails, I believe, when <laughs> <laughs> they had that conversation. She's in her like nightgown, her like little baby doll nightgown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Did they say that Project Quantum Leap was built on the Starbright site?
0: That's what I took away from the book, yeah.
3: Yeah, just built on the old... Yeah. I guess that kind of matches with the pilot in that, like, um... Tina number one, who is not the lady from this book, is uh, talking about, um... That there was some project over there, some secret thing to do with space probes or something. The deep
2: Space probe. Or... So
3: yeah, I guess they knew there was some sort of project mm. there. I always kind of saw the um the exterior of the building that we see in the saga cell uh, for a little bit was like kind of a dummy project. They say it's something else to cover up for what they're really doing there. and I, I guess they they allude to it being some sort of cover or
0: something in this book, right? It just looks like some kind of complex, but it's nondescript is the way they put it. Um, it's just a couple of cinder block buildings and, um, a false homestead, which is really the security station, uh, outside of it. But it's, but it's so remote that people aren't really going to stumble upon it anyway.
3: I guess in my mind, uh, I kind of thought it would make sense if it was like a dummy project, uh, because Sam and Al a little bit, too, are both very well-known people. Sam is basically a celebrity, they say that in, in this book. So it'd be kind of hard to hide that they're doing something out in the desert. So I would think, like, it'd be like, well... Just tell them they're doing something. Don't tell them they're doing time travel stuff. But you could certainly say there's some sort of government project happening there.
0: Yeah, and they would have to have some kind of front because one of the good things about this book was Ashley kind of helped define the parameters of the project and just how big it is. And at one point, she writes that there are like up to 700 employees working on the project in various capacities. For mm-hmm. a deserted desert location that probably doesn't have <laughs> much, much infrastructure around it, a sudden influx of like 700 people is going to be noticed somehow, somewhere. Yeah. So, I, I think that that's one thing that she didn't really dwell on too much, but something I think we have to headcanon. If it really is that extensive, number one, how do they keep it top secret as they do? And number two, what, the what, what, what glows, are they telling man. everybody? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The mountain glows. You got to have something to tell people. You can't just be like it's an abandoned building with a glowing mountain.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are always things that are just not going to work. That are just not that plausible. But it's never a distraction in the book. I just think it's very interesting to see. Oh, the project—it's—it's it's this, and it's this, and it's the mining shafts, and uh, this is how they're building it. And I really enjoyed that. I think it also makes sense that. They are on the site of Starbright because there is one wonderful scene towards the end of the book where Sam and Jessica, Jesse, are running from one building to another in the middle of the night. And Sam looks up and they just see the sheer majesty of the night sky and like the gazillion mm. stars in the desert night and the Milky Way.
3: What a wonderful Sam scene. All right? Yeah.
0: And mm. it reminded me of when he was geeking out in Rick's script for Starlight Starbright. Just Sam being Sam, Sam just nerding out over the wonder and the majesty of, of science and nature. And that to me is like quintessential Sam. And if you have like someone like that, you, you got to think that Yen had those feelings to inspire him for like faster than light. Like what could be more inspiring than like a, a, a nighttime vista like that? Say we're going to get there one day. We're going to reach those specks of light. So I thought it all tied in very well. I think that that um, that scene of Sam
3: just looking up at the stars in in wonderment um, was really a, a glimpse into the Sam that we know on the show, because uh, as much as the stuff made sense, uh, his characterization in this book he is a lot different before leaping. I feel like leaping really taught him how to connect with people. You can see him slowly like loosening up over the show and and becoming a, a much more open person and in here he feels like very closed off
0: I agree. I, I wanted to bring that aspect of it up because for all of Sam's brilliance, all of his genius, I think that this book does an excellent job of showing how awkward he would be socially and how it would make him somewhat of an outcast. But mm-hmm. on the show, yeah. he is like the most personable, <laughs> you know, just just glib, witty guy. He can just handle <laughs> anybody and he can charm everybody. And he is just like so outgoing and genuine. And I feel like – It's kind of a disconnect because would Sam be really that good in social situations? Would he be that persuasive in a room full of strangers?
3: I think part of it, honestly, and this is kind of a a sad way to put it, part of it is because he doesn't remember a lot of this stuff um there's part of the book where uh he's talking about his his photographic memory and um he doesn't have to read a book a second time he doesn't like he can remember every single thing with such clarity and when he's remembering his brother he's wishing that he doesn't remember all of this stuff the way that he does because he's reliving every single painful thing um and all of his this this continues throughout his life he's remembering all of his failings and um He's even like fascinated by the fact that he can't remember something after he has his uh, brain injury. Yes, so mm. I think it's somewhat of a of a blessing for him that he can't remember certain things. It's kind it's kind of interesting in that way that his genius is sort of a double edged sword.
2: I think, and I it's, that's not a way that I'd, I'd looked at it before, and I completely agree with what you're saying. My other take on that as well, though, is. Sam's genius enables him to pick up whatever he needs at the time, and he spent most of his life thinking quite clinically that he needs to solve faster than light or solve time travel. Once he's actually travelling through time, what he needs to solve is social situations, and he needs to become somebody that is able to better interact with people, and he learns how to do that. Now, as a... (laughs) <laughs> a neat way of saying that uh an introvert can just learn how to not be an introvert um but in <laughs> Sam's case maybe that's the case he he just very quickly in his first couple of leaps learns how to how to interact with other people because he has to solve their lives and solve the problems that he's being presented with
3: but he's also walking a mile in other people's shoes which is exactly mm. what the uh the premise of the show is he's learning about people that maybe he hadn't thought about or maybe he hadn't thought about how this might affect someone or like he's he's basically just learning how to be with people and i think that's kind of interesting his journey
0: through the show i also think his upbringing helps because i never considered allison uh what you pointed out that maybe he doesn't remember his social awkwardness like he doesn't remember all of like the the missed social cues and or his isolated adulthood Maybe he's just reverting back to the farm boy that was raised right to respect people, Mm -hmm. to be polite, just the golden rule. And that gets him a lot further than any degree ever would because he has a solid foundation in that respect. He just is inherently respectful of other people because that's who he was taught to be by his parents. Regardless of his intelligence, that's hardwired into him. So he was able to just like lean on that as opposed to worrying about all of the the cerebral stuff.
3: Yeah, well he even says to Jesse in this book and I really love this line where um she she has slept with him, had a one night stand at some point and it, it really hurt his feelings. Um and they've met again once she's uh, come to the project with the uh, Senator Dresny she's like well don't think too badly of me like and he's like well how should i think of you and she's like well with kindness and he says i hope i can always manage kindness like he he never wants to be a cruel person
0: that was a wonderful line to me that was so quintessentially sam that was great so do we should we give just like a teeny synopsis of the broad strokes of the plot here? I feel like because we just keep mentioning characters. And I know we haven't done this in previous uh, book shows, but I feel like it might be apropos in this case.
3: This is a little more complicated than the, the plots have been so far.
0: Basically, what we get here is um, Al retiring from the Navy, looking for his next step. Sam influencing him. This is the first chapter. The leaping Sam influencing him to reach out to non-leaping Sam to pass Sam saying there's someone that wants to hear from you and Al sort of reconnecting with Sam on that level. And then it cuts to Sam in DC trying to get funding for the project and realizing that he needs Al because he cannot deal with the sharks that are in DC to get the funding that he needs. He needs Al to cut through all the red tape for him. So they get together because of that, but also because they need each other. And, um, as Sam, like right in the beginning of the book, which I, this shocked me and I forgot all about it, gets attacked by um, one of Yen's henchmen from the non Luddites. And the guy panics and basically shoots Sam in the head, cracking his skull.
3: I think he just hits him on the head, but he hits him. Skull. I didn't
0: know if he shot him, or if he hit him. But anyway, Sam gets a head injury. And um, he winds up in the hospital, and while in the hospital, something weird happens. We're going to discuss that, which leads to Sam getting his own brain tissue, and um, he uses that as the foundation once he recovers to go back to New Mexico with Al, um, build the neurochips that become Ziggy, and um, basically get Quantum Leap started like the foundations of quantum leap off the ground. But then you have the whole thing with the funding and, um, the Senator saying, well, we need some kind of concrete proof or results. And because, you know, we have the cabal of evil scientists, Yen sends, uh, like moles into quantum leap. Uh, he causes an explosion that was supposed to kill Sam it miss Sam. But because of the explosion, now the project is under more of a microscope than ever. And, um, one of Yen's moles is this girl, Jessica, who Sam slept with in DC as a one night stand. That was kind of a weird scene for me too.
3: He turns into a horny boy. Yeah. A horny <laughs> dom boy who doesn't like understand that this is an obvious trap of some yeah, sort. It's, it's a honeypot. Like, mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the
0: honeypot. Sexy lady. <laughs> Sexy lady. But, um, all that being said, it comes up to where we're told in the saga cell, forced to prove his theory or lose funding. He stepped into the quantum leap accelerator prematurely and vanished. So and that was his way of saying, screw you, you're not taking my project away. I'm going to show you that it works. But not before um, Jessica inadvertently did something to Ziggy's code to um, change the parameters of the project so that Sam gets lost in time. Something goes a little caca. So they build all of that into it and then Jessica is um essentially the person out on the highway that we see in the <laughs> opening scene in Genesis not scene 1. Uh. So yeah. But so I mean that's do you, would you guys say that's a fair synopsis?
2: That's a good synopsis.
0: I think that covered a lot. (laughs) So, I mean, so people can have context because I know we're going back and forth.
3: Yeah, yeah. Let me. I have a ton of notes and they're just all jumbled because there's just a lot that was going
0: on in this book. All right. So, because there was so much going on, I have two very focused discussion points. And it's one I just alluded to. Sam on the operating table having some sort Mm. of of (laughs) out-of-body leap. Experience.
2: I, yeah. He, oh, that frustrates like, me.
3: <laughs> he he somehow leaps into the doctor who's operating on him, so he can take part of his tissue samples and save them in a cell culture, so he can use use it in Ziggy. I guess. Yes. I guess that lends credence to the like leapers are dead theory. I guess. <laughs>
2: it's been 30 years since mirror image and people are still complaining that mirror image isn't spelt out and spoon fed to you. But to me, mirror image makes perfect sense. That one scene still keeps me awake at night. Like I, I think it's great, but it's not explained at all. And there's a dozen different ways you could pass it. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, but that should be the thing that um, fandom is constantly debating. What the hell happened on the operating table? Was it a near-death experience that caused him to leap into a doctor? I, I I think that's a really good way of interpreting it.
3: Maybe it's not even leaping related. I mean, he's maybe he just possesses him. He's a ghost.
0: He's a g- g- but g- ghost. But they do seem,
3: I mean, <laughs> I do think it's kind of interesting. So when Sam's hit by the gun, uh, he's like floating in this like, blue white light Mm -hmm. which seems to be describing the space between leaps so that definitely seems to be the parallel that that ashley's drawing here yeah leapers are dead there we go yeah
0: (laughs) yeah and i call that the leap void that's what i'm going to call that from now on he somehow slips into the leap void in this out-of-body experience while he's on the operating table but he's already sort of seen it when he gets hit so is that GTFW reaching down and saying, okay, like, we're going to put you here so that we can prime the pump and get you to leap? Is that Sam actually leaping himself somehow?
3: No, I guess if he leaps himself and he subconsciously – he did want those cells right, to test out what he wanted to do with his hybrid computer, so
0: maybe? <laughs> and the other thing, I mean – I mean, this is going to get a little bit in the weeds, but uh, I think enough people are familiar enough with the hero's journey and sort of like the Joseph Campbell archetypes of the hero. One of the primary um, steps in the hero's journey is for the hero to return from the dead, to conquer death. And I'm thinking, did Sam die on that table? Was this just another way to cement him as the hero? And if he died mm-hmm. on that table and came back, then is all that stuff about leapers being dead really what's going on here is that Ashley's interpretation or did Sam somehow touch death and get into the leap void because of that but was able maybe to fight into <laughs> the surgeon instead i my, my my head is spinning <laughs> maybe she was thinking of
3: two things one How do I get themselves from (laughs) Sam's brain into this uh, computer without it seeming completely ridiculous? He's like, I'm going to just going to chop into my own brain. (laughs) And two, how do I explain Sam's white streak? It must have been just it grew out of a head injury, I guess. The fans needed to know.
2: Chris, I know this isn't what you mean, but I love the idea that Sam died on the table and for the rest of the novel up until the point where he leaps, he's basically a zombie. And although we can't see because it's a novel, there's like maybe bits of him falling off as he starts to (laughs) decay. I've just got a totally different take on the novel now. Oh, my God. Just just slowly turning grey and (coughs) coughing a little bit.
3: Like, don't don't tell Sam he's dead, okay?
2: <laughs> Coughing him a chunk of his this lungs. This is
3: just gonna freak him out.
2: <laughs> like weekend at Bernie's, they're just propping him up.
3: His nose fell off today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that that would make it an even better book.
3: There, there was a line in the, during the, uh, the operating scene. First of all, there's a, an incredible amount of backstory for these doctors that really never come back into play. Like, Al has a scene where he talks to the surgeon who saved Sam and that's about it. Um, first of all, the doctor's nicknamed Weasel Makowski. There's like these nicknames that these doctors have for some reason. So, um, everyone's like, uh, all the people working on his team are asking, like, um, asking about the guy that they're operating on and uh and he has this whole bit about how he like first of all they know sam so it makes it kind of personal because he's worked with them at that hospital before um but he just hates when the victims are famous because like there's all this like to do about it and also like you you know them more than you would just like a a stranger that came in but he says to them (laughs) The slab of meat on this table, ladies and gentlemen, has more degrees than all of us put together. He sings, he dances, he does physics. <laughs> He's only one of the smartest men in the world. Sam is such a merry Sue. <laughs> he, can, he can do everything. He sings and dances.
2: Don't poke the wrong bit of brain or he won't be able to do Elvis.
3: <laughs> they talk about, they, they mentioned that he was on Time Magazine, but they also say he was on the cover of Rolling Stone. I think that was new. Yeah. <laughs> Rolling
0: Stone. <laughs> pretty groovy. I mean, he was in the zeitgeist, let's put it that way. And I, in the 90s, Rolling Stone was still somewhat relevant. Yeah,
3: I love that he's just a celebrity quantum physicist who's like, I don't want to be a celebrity quantum physicist. <laughs> I just want to do science, guys. And they're like, oh, he's so handsome. Like, <laughs> I got to do my cover for Rolling Stone and then I get to get back to my computer in the desert. All <laughs> right.
0: That's right. He only does the cover so that he can raise the funds. You know, he's not a sellout. Right. Right. No. He's
3: He's selling his body for science. <laughs> you don't think Sam did
2: Playgirl, do Just, like, exactly the same as Scott's issue of Playgirl. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He did the, the
3: same pictures, yeah. It's canon. Playgirl oh, is canon
2: at last. I'm so pleased.
3: I love, after Sam is injured, uh, Al's reaction to this.
0: <gasps> one of my favorite parts
3: he comes running for sam and he's like at this point where he he even admitted to sam like he's he's not really feeling so hot because he's still recovering from his like gunshot wound so he's like ah, i'll wait to travel i'm gonna stay here for a little bit as soon as he finds out that happens to sam he's like i'm getting on that plane right now so he goes there and um they're like my favorite little bit of characterization is when he's uh talking to uh, a nurse trying to find where sam is post-surgery and uh uh, he he has to remind himself that even though he feels like he's known sam his whole life sam has just this completely different world apart from him he has all these friends and all these different social circles um and i ju- i just thought that was just so great that like mm. even then like they just felt like they knew each other so intimately
0: And that scene that you're talking about is capped off by one of the best scenes in the book. I have it written down here. Uh, It's at the bottom of page 33 because it also sort of foreshadows Al's role as the observer and the fact that he's going to be in this position a lot. Just to read, Al looked down at his friend, unable to think of anything more to say or do. He felt almost as helpless as Sam looked, unable to do anything except talk. Unable to do anything to affect events. All he could do was watch. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be Al's role. He, he,
3: he even tells Sam that he needs someone to look after him. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and that's the next thing, because the nurse tells him, you know, even if they're unconscious, they can probably still hear you. And he says, I came back after all. Looks like you can't keep out of trouble without me, kid. You need somebody to look after you. And it was just such a wonderful little prelude, not, you know, duh, prelude, but to to the dynamic that their relationship is destined to take. And it, it gave me all the feels.
3: Yeah, he's doing that throughout the book. Um, When Sam's uh getting released from the hospital, he's like protecting him from the reporters. Like Sam's still like not doing in great shape. And I was like, get out of the way. We're going to an <laughs> Italian restaurant. <laughs> it's just so good. He's so protective of him. And when they're like, he has a limousine set up for him outside of the, the hospital. And then like on the way there, Sam falls asleep. And Al doesn't want to wake him up because he <laughs> fell asleep on the way. Ah, oh, it was just so good. I love too. like when um, Sam um, hears that Al is calling him before all of this happens. He lunges for the phone. He's like, hot dang, Al is calling me. I got to get to the phone
0: right now. Well, since we're speaking of the observer and the destined role that Al is going to have at the project, Ashley did a good job of telling us what the original project was supposed to be. And the original goal was to send Sam back as the Observer himself. I don't know how you had an accelerator chamber and an imaging chamber. It seemed to me like they were co-joined in the way that she set up the project. Like the accelerator chamber is sort of on the way into the imaging chamber. Yeah.
3: Maybe I wasn't reading this correctly. Um, I kind of got the impression that Sam saying it's just, we're just gonna observe, we're not gonna go there, it was just a cover? Hmm, maybe. Like, he wanted to go back in time, but he was lying? But mm. he's,
0: he spent a lot of time musing in both directions. God, how I wish I could change things, how I could, you know, um, prevent Tom from Yo, dying. he definitely
3: wants to change things. Uh, to go things, see my yeah.
0: dad, to, you know, to, to do all the personal stuff that we know becomes like hallmarks of the series. But then he goes to great lengths to say we can't change anything because anything that you do will alter the outcome here. You and I won't be having this conversation if anything in my past went any differently so rule number one is that we can't change it we can only observe and learn we can't make changes
3: i think sam's big thing is that he just wants to understand because he doesn't understand people he doesn't understand this disconnect he doesn't understand why things are the way they are why he can't connect with his family why donna left him at the altar why all of this stuff happened so he just wants to see it and analyze it and at the same time he realizes that All of the things that happened in his life led to this moment. So if he changes one thing, he could change all sorts of things. So I don't think he really necessarily is like, I'm going to go back and save my brother, although eventually he does. I think he just wants to pick apart and analyze and just find out why.
0: Yeah, and you can do that as an observer. So that's Mm. really – and he even said they won't be able to see me. They won't be able to hear me. I won't be able to do anything to affect events. Ziggy can only see into the past and project my hologram there so that I can see it or vice versa. Bring the hologram I guess to the imaging chamber of what exactly is going on and I can observe uh, anonymously. So that is as concrete an explanation of what the project was supposed to be as we've ever gotten. And I think it makes perfect sense. I'm just still confused, like, why you would need to leap then if you can just have a holographic representation built around you in the imaging chamber. Like, where does the leaping come into it if you were never going to travel there in the first place?
3: Maybe it's like observing and that, like, in the way that Ashley has interpreted it, his mind – is observing what's happening in time.
2: Why was there a waiting room built? Or did they just build that very quickly or, or repurpose an existing room in the first couple of scenes of the pilot? <laughs> they,
3: just, they just swept out the, the debris with that guy that got killed. So they're just like, get out of here. we got to <laughs>
1: build, <them way laughs> right build a waiting
2: room quickly. What? Why is this accelerator chamber seemingly perfectly fit for a, some dude to stand in there in a Fermi suit? Uh, I think... It does seem likely that maybe he's kidding himself and or uh, the senators that actual time travel isn't part of the end goal. But yeah, most of what's said does seem to be just that it's it's all about holograms and observing. But there's there's too much within the novel and within Genesis that suggests that it's it was always about physical time travel. Body leaps. Body leaps is what it's all about.
3: Yeah, well, when Sam first arrives in Genesis, he says we did it, as in he expected to be back in time.
0: Yes. And what I thought was uh, as goofy, but, you know, it's just variations on a theme, a goofy cabal of evil scientists. The goofiest thing was that in order – because Jesse, as the mole in the project, is now having real second thoughts because she's still got it bad for Sam and she doesn't want to hurt him. So she just – her fingers as if working on their own automatically um just put in some errant code to send to Yen so that she could give him something but not what Sam was really working on and then that yeah, that random that, supposed to be? that random code that she was just making up to throw him off the scent to throw Yen off the scent inadvertently got saved into Ziggy's mainframe and it was that change in the code that changed the parameters of leaping that made things go a little kaka yeah she accidentally hacked it
3: but in what way
0: that's what screwed up the program why they can't get sam back
3: i'm confused about this entire thing
0: i get what you're saying but i'm confused what why are you confused about it like i mean that's the,
3: to me it was far-fetched but it, because it seemed like it, because the entire premise of the show is that he just jumped into the accelerator prematurely so i always assume that was the
0: reason not like oh it would have worked but she screwed it up well i mean in the confines of this book that's how it happened
2: it was another thing that was just unnecessary. It's already been explained in the show, and Ashley didn't need to put that in there, except to make us scratch our heads.
3: Yeah, to be honest, uh, the scenes with Jessie, I did like um, her character's arc in that like she she didn't necessarily want to be one of the bad guys, she had this like crisis of conscience, but there were way, way too many parts of the book that are just repeating the same thing from her point of view. Like her just musing over what whether she should talk to Sam or what's – going. like I honestly – it just felt so repetitious. I was I was skimming some of them by the point I was getting near the end because I'm like, you're just saying the same thing over and over again. <laughs> like she's not doing anything.
0: I got to be honest with you. I felt the exact same way and especially because you're trying to get to the end of the book and you really – you know, you want that narrative uh, momentum to keep up. And then here we are with Jesse having recriminations all of a sudden. but. A lot of that was, you're right, repetitive, but it led to that wonderful scene outside at night in the desert. So I could almost forgive it because it gave us that little magical moment. And here we go. I mean, this is, this is sort of the biggest bone of contention that most fans have with this book. How well does it mesh? with Genesis and we're getting, you know, towards the end here, the fact that Jesse put that errant code in there that somehow magically changed Ziggy's parameters and caused the project to fail. Um, but you know, fail up really, if you think about it, it gave Sam more (laughs) leeway to do more things. That's very convenient to me, but I didn't see that as unnecessary. I thought it was kind of a neat wrinkle. You guys saw that as Matt, you just said it was
2: not a necessary change to make. I disagree. It did seem far-fetched and a reach, and you can cope with far-fetched and a reach if it's necessary, if it's explaining something that's not already been explained. I'm all for new twists, as long as as long as long they make sense.
3: They could have done the same story and still had the ending
0: be the beginning of Genesis, that's the thing. <laughs> well... Yeah. I think that you know what. Poor Ashley had to deal with the two Tina problem. No, she didn't. And she said, "You know what? I'm not going to try to solve it."
3: <laughs> How is there being two women named Tina more like unsolvable than just doing what didn't happen in the show?
2: <laughs> and the the two Tina problem was never really a problem to start with. So it's just two women
3: named Tina. But it,
2: it, I mean, he he met somebody in the desert who, according to the end credits, is called Tina. Then throughout the series, he starts referencing a relationship with Tina, which if you're paying attention to the Genesis end credits, you assume is the woman from the desert. But then later in the show, it turns out it wasn't. Somewhere along the line, one got replaced with the other. But it's possible the woman in the desert just wasn't called Tina. It's only the end credits that we've got to go with on that. It could just be some random bird.
3: Maybe the Tina from the pilot uh, worked her way up in rank. <laughs> she She decided to work in the project.
0: <laughs> she went from a fly tire on the side of the road to top secret clearance, like yeah. like it a new yeah. split. Makes sense. I mean, I don't know. it's stupid. It's stupid. I'm
3: sorry. I don't like that like it could have been the same book, but not with that. It could have fit so easily. Why is Alan a tuxedo if it's I mean none of the stuff that happens in the pilot matches at all and also i mean i don't know if it was still supposed to be it was snowing at one point right is that why sam
0: was looking at the stars because there was some snow and it was making them look like there was some snow on the ground and uh it wasn't snowing the sky was clear he said look the snow fell upwards and he was referring to the millions of stars the blanket of stars yeah
3: yeah so like it and it's supposed to be in the winter that's even what the back of the book says that in that winter night and then but that's not in the pilot, it's not winter. <laughs> There's no
0: snow. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we should refresh, or if uh, people haven't read the book in a while, the way that Prelude um, ends the um, the aide Jesse that was the mole um, winds up being waylaid kidnapped by another mole that's supposed to kill both her and sam to tie up loose ends she escapes through some back tunnels um that are part of the project complex sam scuffles with the the heavy that's trying to kill them both
3: i believe uh wayland was the guy's name
0: wayland yeah which is a call back to alien i think but anyway um Mm. yeah (laughs) yeah he dies in a cave-in, but Jesse is stuck in the cave system, the natural cave system, then eventually finds her way outside on the outskirts of the project. And she's wandering lost, and that's what they finally spot her security. You know, she trips some kind of sensor, and Al goes to pick her up, to rescue her. And, you know, he pulls up in his sports car, are you going my way? And no, she doesn't have a flat tire, she doesn't have a car, she doesn't have high heels with LEDs,
3: yeah, she just says, "I guess so," and then gets in the car. He's picking her up because the security has been looking for her. Yes, exactly. So yeah. it's
0: it's it's not a pickup. It's it's um it's a rescue security issue. I guess yeah, rescue. again, yeah. pointless change. But you know, it gave this one character in this novel a through line and sort of tied it into. The beginning of the show, which was, I guess, a task of this book, but I don't. By, I don't I'm by, not saying it did it well. <laughs>
3: what, what if while she was in the desert, she just bumped into Tina Number One, and then like, oh hey, where are you going? Oh, I got a flat tire.
0: <laughs> How do you know Al wasn't celebrating because he found her, and then um, she was asleep in the back seat, and he bumped into Tina One on the way back? Yeah, yeah sure. So there you oh, go. That that Jesse was in the back seat, completely asleep under a blanket, kind of like Back to the Future too.
3: No, but we know that didn't happen <laughs> because Al. uh, whatever whatever (laughs) it just doesn't make any sense none of it makes any sense
2: can we talk about the other problematic bit at the end sure so yeah we, we spoke earlier on about the fact that ashley's got this whole mind leap thing going on instead of body leap which given that this is a prequel she could have just skirted she didn't even have to mention anything about it in this but oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she tries to wreck on herself <sighs> by she it's like she suddenly realised that she's been contradicted by the saga cell at the beginning of every single episode, and puts this line in where Bantham says, What do you mean? He's right there, he's standing there. And Ziggy says, What makes Sam Beckett himself is not present? His experiment was perhaps somewhat premature. At the moment he stepped into the accelerator, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Beckett vanished. Ah, so every single saga cell, when we said that Sam Beckett vanished, what we meant was what makes Sam Beckett himself? That's what vanished. Yes. No rubbish.
3: (laughs) Take that, you purists. (laughs) It all makes sense. (laughs) This is kind of a creepy thought that like Sam leaps out and then his body is just like comatose there, like is just standing there and like kept up in a In a force field of some sort? Ziggy can do a force field? There's a force field. Yeah, I love that. When when can Ziggy do force fields?
2: (laughs) If you go with Mind Leaps, then that makes absolute sense. That, yeah, in between leaps, he's just stood there a dribbling mess. But, again, we didn't need to see that moment. That, like, half page could have just been cut. But, no, we see him becoming a dribbling mess, and then we see the explanation as to what vanished really means. Vanish doesn't mean vanish. No, 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 no. Oh, you guys just take all the fun out of it. It's it's a stretch. It is a stretch. And I I remember practically throwing the novel across the room when I read that bit. Just like just just give it up. Just just stop.
3: Hey, one one thing that that actually McConnell added that I consider canon because I like this is um the fact that Ziggy is made up of cells from Sam and Al. Yes! Yes love it they created her together there's the brain cells from sam from when he possessed the doctor and he uh he doesn't have enough to complete uh the computer like he wants to so he asks for some cells from al uh, which he takes from his finger um so ziggy refers to them as her fathers they're both they they both have a a computer child together
0: (laughs) my two dads (laughs) the slash writes itself (laughs)
3: yeah (laughs) But yeah, but I mean, I guess it kind of explains why. It's like, why are Sam and Al so connected to the computer? Why can't it be someone else's observer? Why is uh, Gushy not connected as well as Al? Why are all of these things going on? Uh, uh, Why does Ziggy have this ego? It seems to come from one of them. Ziggy refers to her personality or his personality at this point as being from them. Yep. So all of that is just very, very, like, it just makes me think a lot. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there was the great bit, too, where Sam is talking to Ziggy, and he realizes Ziggy is the only person or the only thing that can understand him, and it's this facsimile
0: of himself. Right. He says, I'm essentially talking to myself.
3: Oh, my God. (laughs) He's so lonely. (laughs) Amazing. Chef's kiss.
2: (laughs) There is a lot to love in this book. But
0: also they go into how Ziggy was named Ziggy. And um, anybody who's my age or older is automatically going to think of the Tom Wilson comic strip. Uh, I don't know if you guys even had comic strips growing up in the newspaper that you still read. I don't know if Ziggy is still being published or if it was back when you were kids. Are you familiar with Ziggy, Matt? Was that a UK thing too?
2: Yeah, I I had newspaper strips growing up but uh, Ziggy never made it over here and Tom Wilson is the guy that played Biff. So it means <laughs> yeah. I, I it meant nothing to me. I did look it up and and research it later.
0: This is what Al says and I guess he's maybe throwing some shade on Ziggy because Ziggy, or the computer before they name it Ziggy, is having a glitch, and it's spouting some nonsense. And uh, this is the first time that Tina and Gushy and Al are hearing Ziggy for the advanced intelligence that it is. And he says some nonsense, and Tina says, that's like free association. That's really weird. Not very smart, though. To which Al replies, like that cartoon character. What's his name? Ziggy, Al muttered. You're going to have to zap him some more, like a bolt of lightning from above, because he was also making some Frankenstein. But I guess he thinks that the Ziggy cartoon character is not too bright, is what he's saying. And that's where the name Ziggy comes from, which to me was a bit of a stretch. (laughs) It does fit with canon that Al came up with the name, though. That was something they mentioned in Leap for Lisa. Yeah, that's true, because otherwise it would have been Alpha, right? But I want to – you guys have to imagine especially because I know that you know this reference. A paragraph later, um, Sam was looking down at the contraption on his desk as he chewed his lip in a pensive manner. Ziggy, I kind of like that. Well, it isn't Pigs in Space exactly, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Sam left and allowed himself a small sigh of relief. Where does Pigs in Space come in with Ziggy? I'm confused (laughs) about how that is even there. Like, Why would they reference that?
3: Thoughts? i don't know i didn't get it yeah, either I, I was like i i know i recently watched the muppets i don't remember a ziggy thing coming up and i, I have no idea no, maybe same. he's just referencing pop culture things he's just like well i guess it's not he didn't reference that i don't know at <laughs> least he didn't say duke nukem <laughs> oh, yeah, I,
0: yeah i didn't know if you had any insight i know matt you're a special fan of pigs in space we're all special fans of pigs in space though. i so. love pigs in space but, <laughs> but no nope, i got nothing there go back and listen to fangent 4 All about the Muppets. (laughs) Available now on Patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast.
3: When Sam and Al are discussing uh, Ziggy being connected uh, to both of them, Sam infers that he thinks Al is going to travel in time too. He's like, when you travel in time, then do-do-do-do. So he seems to think like he's not going to be the only leaper. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I
0: think that that's wonderful because if you're just going as an observer – And Al is built into the matrices of the computer, just like Sam is, then why not? Why not have two?
3: Yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. And Al's just like, well, I'm not doing that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Forget that. (laughs) And I think maybe Sam is thinking, well, you have a longer lifespan than me. So you could probably go back even further if we need to gather more information to understand some things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
3: He was saying that he thought he could do it with Al's cells and maybe expand the parameters a bit, but didn't seem to be the case.
0: All very interesting stuff. And yeah. Ashley even picks up on a thread from The Wall that we discussed quite a bit on the show uh, about The Wall. In this, Sam speculates that Ziggy um, would have to exist outside of time to change the past. Mm. And in The Wall, Ashley made some mention about the project existing outside of time. Mm. So it's another idea that she seems to be you know, very preoccupied with. And uh, she didn't really do much with it here. Except at least now we have Sam sort of giving it some kind of credence in his head as well, which is very interesting. All that timey-wimey stuff is a big part of the reason why I'm a Quantum Leap fan. So, And he would be a dribbling mess. <laughs>
3: <laughs> See, I'm going into like the emotional sadness and you're going into just the horror of it all. Really? Yeah, isn't it great?
0: Isn't it great? I thought that Ashley knocked it out of the park with the attention to science and detail, even though it's, you know, the essentially Trek-like technobabble. Pertaining to the neural chips, pertaining to, you know, yeah, how to make it very plausible. She did do a lot of research. She, she
3: did thank people, uh, her acknowledgements. Like, um, she did legitimately, like, ask people who might know what they're doing and try and incorporate things that have some basis in reality, which is pretty
0: cool. Yeah, there was one great sand bit where he's just thinking about how he can get more cells. And he's he, he thinks about, you know, he would have to crack somebody else's skull open to get...
3: <laughs> how do I get, <laughs> get them cells? That, that
0: probably wouldn't be a very good way to go about it, though. I gotta go around shooting some people. But it's all that lateral thinking. It's just like, well, may I crack somebody else's skull? Oh, well, no, probably not a good idea.
3: Yeah, there are times where he's kind of like, he he's a little bit like a robot, like in that like, he's like, um... Well, how do I feel about this lady? I'm getting horny for her because of this. Here's the biological responses. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the real world, Sam. <laughs> oh, I do like, too, when, like, Al, Al and Sam and um, Ziggy are having a conversation about, like, um, Al getting interrupted, like, uh, mid-coitus, you know? <laughs> and, and, um... They're talking about having dessert, and Sam's like, "Why would you have dessert in the morning? (laughs) You live such a sheltered life."
0: (laughs) One of the scenes that took me out of it was the first scene where Sam and Jesse meet uh, for the one night stand. Where somehow Sam is so dumbstruck by her perfume, I'm thinking, is this some kind of non-Luddite perfume trap? (laughs) Yeah, it made it sound like she had some sort of like like brain-scrambling perfume or something. (laughs) But no, it was just uh, Sam's reaction was so visceral that he couldn't even think straight. (laughs) He just got attacked by the hornies.
3: He had to do (laughs) it.
0: I do kind of like that
3: there was that bit of humanity there, though. Like he was just giving into this urge and and he he was hurt for it. Like he immediately regretted it. He's like, you open yourself up to people and this is what happens. So I'm going to go back to my computer and in the desert and my little cave system and Mm. work on that.
0: She also played a little bit on a regret that he had, and he even says to himself, or it comes up somewhere in the book, that Sam doesn't believe that it's morally right to sleep with someone who he wasn't in love with, and he doesn't think that he's in love.
3: Oh, he falls hard so fast. Yeah. He falls hard so fast. He wasn't in love with her, but he falls hard so fast. They talk about how he was going to marry Donna after a month. A month,
0: yeah. Mm. Yeah, so maybe that's a defense mechanism kicking in. Maybe he, he convinces himself that he's in love because he's just horny.
3: Hmm. Maybe he doesn't know what love is. He he needs he someone needs to, to show him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Nice. Very nice. Uh, winner of the episode. Ding
0: ding 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 ding. <laughs> well, uh, I have a couple more notes here, but they're just little things. Uh we know that I can't stand the way Sam eats his cheeseburger. No one ruins a good cheeseburger like Sam.
3: <laughs> do we know this? Did you mention this?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because he has extra onions, and I hate onions. So yeah, when we were talking about it, saw cross. Oh, right. yes, I do recall this. Yes, but I mean, his culinary uh, ineptitude really continues in this book. He's eating mm-hmm. he's eating grilled salmon and a cup of coffee. oh that does sound (laughs) gross
3: what i tell you he doesn't eat right he doesn't take care of himself he's not like he's like whatever i'm just gonna shove whatever crap in my mouth and i'm gonna go back to doing science what
0: But I mean, he's out at a nice restaurant. He's having salmon. Get like, a you know, an iced tea or not like a hot cup of coffee to go with fish. Anyway, that was just like a gross moment. Um, there was one scene in the beginning where Sam compares himself or the project or something. He breaks out a Dr. Faustus reference. Sam can't stand English Lit. How would he know who Dr. Faustus is? And, you know, <laughs> does, does he make an exception for Christopher Marlowe? I, I, I don't know. Maybe
3: he heard about it on Pigs in Space. <laughs> I don't
2: know. <laughs> 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 ah, classic episode
0: classic. (laughs) And one of the last little character bits that I really loved, because I saw myself in Sam. um, He's in D.C. The last night he's in D.C. He gets a single ticket to the Performing Arts Center to see a show, to see a musical. And, like, that's my life. My wife and I, would do plenty of things together, but she doesn't like the movies I like. She doesn't like the opera. And I'm going to, like, shows and stuff all the time by myself, because it's just what I like to do. So it's nice to see that Sam has the same habit I do. Just, again, little character beats that uh, stood out as both enjoyable and uh made the book very memorable
3: oh, i still got a ton of stuff written down to be honest <laughs> uh, have at it ap all right well al is in transition to retirement uh and he's uh thinking about how he's tired of moving from station to station not having a real home uh, i thought that was a great parallel to sam waiting to leap home
2: mm, nice spot
3: and uh it was like it was so sad when Al's at his retirement ceremony, but Sam's not there because he's recovering from brain surgery. Like he couldn't be there for him. Like, uh
0: It was neat though to give Al that much time to show you this ending part of his life. Yeah. And mm. to give it as much attention as it deserved, because it is a major transition for the character.
3: Yeah, um, I also noticed at his retirement ceremony, they mention a Senator McBride. Is it like Diane McBride?
0: Yeah. That's what I assumed. And that's why I say it was kind of a mishmash of before leaping and post leaping. And some things are affected and some things don't seem to be affected. But to me, that was Diane McBride.
3: Headcanon accepted. <laughs> <laughs> they also um talk about uh how the government envisions... Uh, military uses for this computer because uh, through the whole book sam's kind of lying about the time travel aspect he's just saying he's building a new computer and uh, he's like well they'll probably want to use it for military uses but i'm not gonna let that happen so he's got all these like fail safes like no no we're gonna
0: use this for that yeah which is very confident for sam Hmm. yeah and uh, they reminded me of what Matt and I we were talking about. It, it was evocative of Rathkepon. Science has always been pawns of the military. Pawns of the military. Yeah. To that end, on page sixty-nine, huh, 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 uh, <laughs> there's a line where one of the characters says, "You know, engineers—they love to change things." What does that sound yes. like, Matt? <laughs> Motion picture. <laughs> that is McCoy. Yep. Is that a
3: line
2: from that? Yeah. And they probably redesigned the whole sickbay, too. I know engineers, they love to change things. He's not going to find his way around sickbay.
3: <laughs> what about just sci-fi nerds? <laughs> yeah.
2: There were a couple of Star Trek references in
0: here, so Ashley is at least as much of a truck fan as we are, I'm thinking. When Sam
3: is talking to the senators, all these scenes where he's trying to get this funding and he's just frustrated, like, oh, I, can't, I don't want to deal with this funding stuff. He's frustrated that they don't really know a lot about technology. Like, he's, he's like, how do they get any work done if they don't have any computers? Or are they working with computers? Like, they know nothing about this stuff. <laughs> um, and he um, he needs Owl to explain this stuff to them because when Sam's trying to explain the project, like, he can't imagine explaining it any other way than how he wrote his presentation.
0: Yeah, yeah. He,
3: d- he doesn't know how to simplify these things for, for the normies. <laughs> yeah,
0: and this was one of my favorite aspects of the book and one of the scenes that I remembered even 30 years after having read it for the first time, where Sam is summing up, One of his presentations, and he says, therefore, it should be intuitively obvious to anybody. And L just puts his (laughs) head in his hands, like, Wow, you just insulted this entire (laughs) (laughs) room. You are so inept at this, Sam. (laughs) He's just like a very awkward person. It was nice to explore that aspect. Yeah, well, he just doesn't know how to dumb it down anymore. Like, to him, it's as dumbed down as it's ever going to be able to get. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can't, if you don't get it, it's not on me, it's on you. Well, no, really, it's really on you, Sam. (laughs) You've got to make them get it. (laughs)
3: Yen imagines uh, Commissioning an oil portrait Of Sam to like
0: throw darts at it
2: That's creative
0: It's
3: ridiculous Ridiculous (laughs) I want (laughs) to get
0: an oil portrait of him (laughs) At first he was going to hang it in the lobby Of the visitor center Of the top secret development (laughs) That nobody would ever visit anyway Or I'll just hang it in my office and throw darts (laughs) Excellent
3: Um, we do have some dates that they list in this book. Uh, this takes place over several years. It starts in the summer of 1990. Uh, it goes into 95 in the winter when that when the first leap occurs. So if people are looking for dates to have, mm-hmm. this is a resource you can use. Yes,
2: definitely a resource I used. Does this jive with the chronology that uh, you set up, Matt? I set up the chronology around this, to be fair. <laughs> I made everything else fit with this. Because it does.
0: So you're welcome beyond the mirror image. (laughs) That's what Ashley's saying. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Sam is 42, at least at one point in the book.
3: They mention that he's 42 years old. And I know if you do the math with when he was born to these dates, you can kind of get that. But it still seems like the show never really realized the age Sam or Al are supposed to be by setting things those years into the future. Because he is much older than
2: Scott Bakula was. Are, are you are you saying forty two is old, Allison?
3: I'm not saying it's old. Please don't I'm say forty two is like, old. They they, they mention that Sam's thirty <laughs> something at some point. Like yeah. it's just like older than the show seems to treat Sam as.
0: Does his age in this book align with the August eighth, nineteen? Was it fifty
3: three? Yeah, it, I think yeah, it does. That's the main it's thing. just like having it written out like that. You kind of. Realize, uh, how the dates line up. I do think it's interesting that, like, Sam was the age he was when Starbright happened, which was his first big break. And considering, and we talked about this before, considering, like, how early he was such a genius, it was so weird that it took him that long to be part of a big project like that. So I guess that lines up with the fact that a lot of people just couldn't
0: understand him. Like, his ideas just seemed so out there. Yeah, maybe he didn't want to be attached to something. He was probably working on the parameters of Quantum Leap, and he was happy in his research. Maybe he needed to take Starbright to up his quotient, you know, like his uh, his uh saleability for when he really needed to get funding. Well, I was part of this project, too, and they hire him as director. Apparently, he was running Starbright. He wasn't just part of Starbright. He was the head of Starbright.
3: yeah. Did Al put him in that position? Because Al was the one who gave him his big break.
0: If you go by the show, I would guess so. Yeah.
3: Interesting. I guess he was involved with that because of his astronaut stuff.
2: Yeah, that makes sense, sort of. Yes, perfect. Why I not? never even thought of that. <laughs> ding, 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 you win again. <laughs> Whoa.
3: <laughs> it's all coming together. Okay, uh, here's some more stuff. All of this is all little pieces of things. Um, Sam notices the tie that he gave Al. He's like, what are you wearing? What is that?
0: (laughs) What is that awful thing? (laughs) He's like, you gave it to him, bud. (laughs) Leapy Sam gave it to him.
3: Yeah, Leaping Sam gave it to him. Sam explains his inability to connect with people as, that's just the way things are. Is that like a mirror image parallel? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sometimes. That's the way it is.
0: Is the best explanation. Again, something I did in my book too. So I feel like every time I read different things in this book, I'm like, wow, I stole that. Wow, I stole that. (laughs) Oh my God, I didn't realize it, but I stole that.
3: Well, yeah, a lot of the stuff just became like headcanon that like... I thought in my mind, or I read in the books, or I read other people writing about it, or you writing about it, or whatever, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, but a lot of this was stuff that that she wrote out, so uh, good on you, Ashley McConnell. Mm. Okay, this was something that seemed to be alluded to before. Um, Sam helped sober Al up after their first meeting. Yeah, and I
0: think that tracks with Connor.
3: So he sees him drunkenly hitting a vending machine, and he's like, you will be my best friend, and I'm going to help dry you out. I'm going to fix this guy.
0: That's Sam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he sponsored. Yeah. He said he was He he first sponsored him into sobriety. So I guess Sam was, you know, in a big way, putting Al on the right track, which makes it all the more odd to me that there's a scene in here where Sam is insisting they celebrate by drinking the last of the scotch whiskey that low Negro gave him.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of playing it both ways. It's like it's almost like Al needs permission from him all the time to drink. Like, can I have a little drink, please, Sam? Like, I guess, I guess you can have a little bit, Al.
2: It's a special day.
0: <laughs> He's not completely on the wagon. He drinks wine occasionally in this book, and I think that it really is jiving with the series because we see shortly yeah. after Sam leaps, Al is hitting the bottle pretty hard in a couple episodes. Yeah. So he's obviously yeah. relapsed at some point.
3: He didn't have Sam to keep him on the right track, and he fell off the wagon. And that's how it happened in the pilot. He was drinking because he he wasn't dealing well with the situation.
2: Pop champagne for six days. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the party's just the party else.
3: <laughs> oh, there's the, uh, the, the origins of Sam learning jujitsu. Uh, he had his first lessons because Tom beat him up too hard. yeah tom beat him up too hard one time he felt bad
0: about it so he had him go learn (laughs) jujitsu that sounds so sad (laughs) what farm town in the midwest in the 60s is gonna have a jujitsu dojo (laughs) we're
3: in indiana are they teaching (laughs) jujitsu
0: he probably got a book I, I just feel like again we don't need an origin for every single skill Sam has you know but that's <laughs> there, all right. are, there
3: are little bits of, of character stuff in there I don't mind that if it's just like hey this is just a thing like it doesn't really make sense that in you know whatever Indiana like that would be going on there but I do like little bits I love that there's a piano in the project yeah you brought a piano in there I guess Sam did
0: they never say who did So it was just somehow smuggled in.
3: It kind of seems like he did, but definitely Sam was the one utilizing it. He's like, hell yeah, I'm going to be playing that piano.
0: And again, much more socially um, adroit Sam. He's all of a sudden in the cafeteria singing and playing and being like friend boss instead of aloof, socially awkward boss. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was just another way, I think, for Ashley to point out a lot of the talents that Sam inherently had that would eventually come into play on all the leaps. So and Sam is essentially, you know, he's got all of Scott's talents. Lucky Sam.
3: Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like music has always been like a huge part of Sam's life. And I think like that makes sense that like he might not be that great socially, but he really connects to music. So if he's at a party and he sees a piano, he's like, I play this piano. I can sing these songs. I know this stuff. Mm. like that's something that really like means something to him
0: yeah and it's always been told about the relationship between music and math and it's just sort of a natural fit for someone with sam's skill set that he would jive to music on a different level mm-hmm. so pretty cool
3: uh okay uh tina is dr tina martina O'Farrell. i guess it would make sense she'd have a doctorate with all that she knows but i feel like very rarely is she referred to as Doctor. Yeah, yeah,
0: she's just Tina. Just Tina. <laughs> Save the Doctor for Beaks.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit about Beaks in this too. Like she's like at the project for a while, and then she's not, and then they decide to bring her back. Yeah,
0: after the budget cuts, I don't understand that. After they know that they're going to be closed down, probably. Yet they bring her back in. She's going to take a job for a project that basically has its days numbered. Yeah, maybe they had some blackmail on her. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we! <laughs> i thought that all that shit started after sam left
3: <laughs> yeah that's why things start going so crappy at the project they're like daddy's gone <laughs> we're gonna do whatever we want
0: <laughs> when the cat's away am i right
3: <laughs> they do mention uh al's title they say that he's a administrative director mm. yeah So him and Sam are directors, they just have different sort of titles, but they are both referred to as directors at the project.
0: Again, I guess if you have to give them some kind of role, right, within the parameters of the project. So it makes sense for Al to be that way. We've discussed that before, too.
3: And uh, Sam lives at the project. He doesn't have a home outside of the project. I don't think everyone lives there, but Sam does.
0: Yeah, but again, they have like 700 personnel at the project, so... There's got to be quarters for a good majority of them. Quarters for 700 people? That's one big-ass cave. I doubt it would be for all 700. And this is like the weird minutiae, but they were talking about like they were inventorying because even this senator, the bean counter that came to do the audit, couldn't argue with the fact that the rooms were like 10 by 12 with a, a cot, a computer, a desk, and a bathroom how many freaking toilets are at Project Quantum Leap? There are no communal bathrooms for every single quarters has a private head? Wow, that's that's a lot of sewage for the little podunk sewage plant that's down the road in this deserted town. It's all
3: just seeping through the dirt. Where's it coming from? Aww. That's where
0: my mind went there. That's, so that's weird.
3: That's what all the noises that everyone's complaining about. It's just toilets flushing. <laughs> <laughs> They, um, they mention quarters that Al and Tina have as well. I don't know if that means that um Al has quarters on site and not, which seems to kind of add up. Um, mm-hmm. If he didn't have any quarters off-site, that would uh, lend credence to my theory that he made up the story about his noisy neighbor and right hand of God.
0: And we're in this book, which is in a slightly different universe as opposed to what we saw on screen. So I still – I like
3: – Oh, I see. I like my right hand <laughs> of God
0: theory where he had his apartment offsite and then he was moving into the project. Then they were transitioning. That's still my headcanon on that. Yeah, I I feel like that's what it
3: was, too. Like, it was like he had both and then eventually it just he had to live at the project because he just had to be at the beck and call of whenever Sam leaped.
0: The beck and call.
3: (laughs) The beck and call.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Batman. What else you got, Allison?
3: Yeah, there's also mention of a volcano rock left over from an ancient eruption. So I guess that's what it was. We were talking about the lava rock before.
0: All right, yes. Yeah, an yeah. old volcano. Yeah, she goes heavily into like the geology and the topography and everything. How interesting. I'd love to go to New Mexico and see like caves and crap like that. I've never been to a desert outside. I've, I've been to Egypt, but I've never been to the Southwest. Oh, yeah, it's real pretty. I've been there. I know. <laughs> I see pictures of you in front of the plateau, in front of the Quantum Leap Mesa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: um, I think I have. I did go through... New Mexico at some point, too. The plateau that you see in the intro of the show is in Sedona in Arizona, Mm. for anyone who's wondering about that. um, So, yeah, I've been there. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty cool. We will one day have a live
0: show there. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Prepare to travel to the Southwest at some point. Right on the top of that mesa in Sedona, we're going to set up some chairs and a couple of microphones, and we're going to have a nice live show right right on top of that. Oh,
2: amazing. What do you think? We have to do that.
3: (laughs) Uh, okay, some more stuff. I'm winding down. Owl's afraid of the dark.
2: <laughs> we know this.
3: <laughs> he's afraid of everything. He's afraid of the dark. I just love that, too, Um, when you really get into, like, this this is more of an adult novel. When you get, like, scaredy cat Al, sometimes it's kind of childish plots, but he's got all this <laughs> shit to deal with. and uh, And then also he's scared of the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was when they were going into the tunnels. I believe when they mention it. Um, also, Sam is a know-it-all. Um, Al's talking about, uh, Frankenstein, and then, like, Sam's like, it's a scientist, not the monster. Actually, Al!
0: <laughs> um, actually? <laughs> yeah. You know, people now, Frankenstein is the guy with the flat head and the bolts in his neck. Herman Munster, basically.
3: Yeah. I guess if he inherited his father's
0: name. But I, I've read reviewers that will... Call it the monster and not Frankenstein when they're talking about like the universal right. Frankenstein. And I'm just like, you know what? Just stop. We understand. You get
3: yeah. it. Yeah. It's just a Frankenstein like Dracula is a Dracula.
0: <laughs> but we know it was Victor Frankenstein that created the monster. You don't have to call it the monster. Everybody calls it Frankenstein. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah, I guess if his father is Frankenstein, then his last name would be Frankenstein too. <laughs> That's right? true. John Frankenstein. Yeah. Ziggy's last name should be hyphenated then, right? Ziggy Calavici
2: Beckett.
3: Oh, my God. (laughs) That
2: would be too cute.
3: This whole family. Oh, man. I I love that Ziggy is worried about Sam and then asks Al to check on him, which indicates that Ziggy not only has reasoning like a person, but has emotions, which I choose to believe is the part of her that's Al worried about Sam.
0: See, and I thought it was more Sam. Worried about Sam. Sam worried about himself? Yeah, no, but I mean, just sort of that, that concern for other people, where Ziggy is normally very aloof. That's true, but if Al cares about anyone, it's Sam, for sure. So you think it's that in that instance where Ziggy caring about Sam specifically, it's part of Al coming out, it's expressing itself?
3: Yeah, but I do think that we get uh, glimpses of Sam as a leaper here as well. Uh, when the bomb goes off, Sam's first reaction is to help whoever's hurt. Yep. Like, he's not Mm. worried about... Like, his cell cultures and all of this stuff have been destroyed. These are important things to him. But he's like, I got to find who was hurt, and I got to help them. I'm a doctor. I can do this. Yeah, Yeah,
0: until he figured out the guy was in pieces and smeared against the wall.
3: Yeah, he he couldn't help that guy. He's like, yeah, maybe I'll go look at my cell cultures now. (laughs) He was hamburger meat. That ain't going (laughs) to happen. Oh, man. When Sam is, like, he's cleaning up this area after this happened. He won't let anyone else clean it up. So he is washing blood and brain matter and all sorts of shit off the walls and he doesn't want anyone else to help him and Al is saying like dude someone's trying to kill you like aren't you worried about this and he's like no I, I just need to to finish this
0: we're so close hmm. what's he cleaning off the wall hmm brain matter what was he just looking hmm. for hmm, hmm. Brain. oh my god
3: he could oh my that that guy got stuck into Ziggy how handy bits of him splattered into the Ziggy parts and then like whoops
0: now Ziggy has three fathers. <laughs> it's like you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Pregler, wrap it up.
3: All right, I have two more things written down. <laughs> quick, quick, like a bunny. Now, <laughs> <laughs> there's another reference to Jim Bonnick, the character from Magnum PI, oh, yeah. being married to Sam's sister. Yep. Uh, Sam feels that Jim Bonnick replaced him in his mother's eyes because he was there when when he wasn't.
0: Yeah. Kind of mm. interesting, yeah, all the stuff about um musing about Katie and the mom I thought that was all very poignant, yeah. yeah, painting Sam tragically that was great
2: family stuff here all
3: right, uh I got the last thing that I wrote uh so Al says Jesse is running like the devil is after her, and Sam asks if Al caught her is this another boogeyman thing
0: ah. <gasps> oh, clever yeah we thought Sam was just being facetious <laughs> presaging the boogeyman, yeah, maybe. Yeah, cool. Shh. Don't say that word. Yeah. So lots what are of cool we doing? stuff. What are we doing? <laughs> haven't we learned our lesson? <laughs> Let me make sure I'm yeah. still rolling. Yeah.
3: Yeah, this uh this book made me think about a lot. Uh I did like a lot of it. Uh I I enjoyed it greatly. Um for all of the issues that I have with some of the stuff uh that was in it, uh, I do think overall a uh, really great read. I think lots of people uh who are listening to this podcast and haven't read it uh, should check it out. Just maybe if it helps just like uh, Ashley said, consider it uh, an alternate universe, how things might have happened.
0: All right. How about you, Matt?
2: Yeah, I love this one. It is something very different from anything that's come before or after it. Um, actually, I, I wanted to share a small kind of personal story about this one as well. Please, please do. Sure. It's it's not that personal. Uh, <laughs> it's just it it doesn't really relate to any of what we've talked about so far. So when I was thinking about writing a book about Quantum Leap, I knew one of the things I wanted to do was put a timeline in it. And I also knew that the only way that I'd be able to form a coherent timeline is if this book, in some way, not only made technical sense, but also was inspirational enough to do that. So I went on holiday in 2014, 15, and I picked up a copy of this secondhand to take with me to read and I just made the decision there and then, if this is a good enough book that it inspires me to write more about the Quantum Leap universe, that's it. I'm just going to go all out with this this book that obviously I ended up writing, and that is why I'm here today talking to you guys. So, I would never have been on this podcast talking to you two wow. if Prelude had been a lesser novel. So, that's how good I think this book is. It's responsible for the last six years of my life.
0: Oh, that is,
2: that's,
3: fantastic, that's wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man.
2: We owe it a debt of gratitude to Ashley And McConnell. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. But it's it's not just a Joining the Dots book. It de- definitely has some Joining the Dots stuff in it. But it's, um yeah, it's so good. It's It's got so many good features and so much to recommend it that, yeah, I hope everyone has read it or does read it uh, on the back of this podcast. Yeah.
0: um, I'm going to agree with both of you. Uh, This one is a standout, by far the best of the novel series so far. And uh, if memory serves, one of the all-time highlights of the novel series. And it was just packed with such great character stuff. And it was – I feel like the first book truly written for the fans of Quantum Leap for the novel series. So there was just so much great stuff to sink your teeth into. And Ashley was just so adept – at weaving things in and out in such an organic way there. Like like you just said, Matt, th- there's a sort of a, you know, connect the dots, fill in the blanks, check the boxes. That is here. That is here somewhat. But it never seems to be the driving concern of the book. This is not solo. This is a good story about Sam Beckett.
3: (laughs) (laughs) How will we call it? Quantum leap. (laughs) It's not like we're going to take a quantum leap in science. Hey, I like that name.
0: (laughs) It could have been such ham-fisted garbage. But it's not. It's just so good. And Sam and Al sing as characters. And I just enjoyed just about everything about it. Even the stuff that I didn't quite enjoy, I found to be enjoyably goofy. So uh, just wins all around with this. So thank you so much, Ashley, for um, writing the book that we all wanted to read and finally getting to read it. it was a pleasure. It was a joy. So I think that wraps up. Our discussion of Prelude. This was a good meeting of the book club, guys. Thank you very much. Woo, good stuff. But, Yay. um, we're not,
3: woo. sorry, I was,
0: I was taking a drink at the time. <laughs> <laughs> we're not quite done yet. I just have uh, a couple of announcements and we have some feedback. So first, I want to thank some new patrons, guys. We got new patrons to announce as you have heard on previous shows we've been sort of shilling to get some new patrons online so that we can eventually we hope afford to hire an editor and here are um some people who have stepped up so i first want to thank mr jonathan melville he joined at the five dollar
2: leaper level and i believe you're familiar with mr melville are you not matt Yeah, Jonathan and I got chatting a while uh, ago on Facebook, so we we know of each other's work. Yeah, he's obviously been following the podcast and my book, and uh, he he wrote a book uh, fairly recently about Highlander, which is uh, another interest of mine. So, yeah, he's a good guy. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Woo!
0: Yay! Thanks, man. As
2: a $5
0: leaper, he gets access to all of our bonus content. He is, of course, as well, a member of the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club. So we'll be sending him his bookmark. And uh, he also gets to vote on our next leaps and all the good stuff that comes with being a patron. Uh, But he's not the only one that we need to thank. We also need to thank Karen Saxon. Woo! Karen, yay! Yay. Thank you. Karen also signed up at the five dollar leaper level, meaning that she will get access to all of the great bonus content, the bookmark, and uh, what have you. So, thank you both for your support and for putting us that much closer to the goal of being able to hire an editor for when we go weekly, when the new series drops. So exciting! I'm still so scared, but um, (laughs) I also wanted to read a bit of feedback. Uh, I found this in our email. I guess I've been meaning to load it into the show. For a while, but it just it kind of slipped through the cracks. So this is an email from a listener named Ashley Stargel. Is that how do you say that? It? it looks like Stargel, right? Stargill?
3: It looks like really?
0: that. <laughs> I was just thinking yeah, Starbrite, Stargel.
2: I'd, I'd, I'm going to go with that. She's somebody else I know on Facebook, but I've never asked her how to pronounce her surname. I was so going to say I'm- so if... We're mangling your name, Ashley. Uh,
0: We apologize. But uh, anyway, uh, I'll begin this one. She writes, hello, Matt, Allison, and Chris. I'm writing to tell you I'm a big fan of the podcast. I often find myself laughing out loud at the things you guys point out. Obviously, what Allison says. We know, Ashley.
3: We're all funny.
0: Laughing out loud at the things you guys point out and the lovable trolling the show deserves. (laughs)
3: I've been re-watching some of my favourite episodes and then listening to the podcast afterwards. But my husband and I recently restarted the whole series from the beginning and we would love to hear your commentary on those episodes. Please consider going back to the beginning. I'm about to go through withdrawals.
2: (laughs) Also, I hope you keep us updated with news about the reboot. I'm pretty nervous about it. As a diehard QL fan for 30 years, I really hope they do a good job with it. I wonder if they'll try to recreate the chemistry between Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell with another pair, or if they'll go a completely different direction with it. I just hope they find a way to honour the campy, good nature of the show. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Thanks for reading. Ashley.
0: Thank you, Ashley, for the thoughts and the compliments. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, thanks. You know, from all indications, uh, we have a mole of our own here. He doesn't work for the evil cabal of non-Luddites, but um, (laughs) he does have some insight into the new show, and (laughs) I, I do believe that,
2: Matt, you're saying that
0: we're in pretty good hands,
2: right? I think, um, yeah, based on what I've read so far, I wouldn't describe it as campy, although maybe it will get a bit campier as it settles in. Um, Definitely uh, good-natured, optimistic, positive. That point about recreating the chemistry with another pair, yeah, I think there'll be an element of that, even though it's uh, it's an ensemble piece. There is definitely the the Leaper hologram dynamic, albeit with, with quite a different twist. I think there'll there'll be a lot to love about it. It's definitely in good hands,
0: for sure. And we will be bringing you every single second of it as it becomes available. <laughs>
3: I got a good feeling about this. I I hope uh, it's um well placed optimism, but I think so. I think everyone involved uh, that has said anything about it has said that they want it to be like the nature of the original show. So I don't think they want to do it to be gritty or cynical. And I think that's
0: a lot of worry with people when when they see reboots. So yeah, I think it's going to be good. And just to ease your withdrawal pangs, Ashley, as you can see on your feed, we are going through the earlier episodes with our own commentary. So you should be able to hear Genesis, Star-Crossed, and Right Hand of God with uh, Test to Come. Because everybody keeps voting for them in order. <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> yep, we're going in order. So, yeah, hopefully that'll help you, uh, you know, stay sated until we're able to talk about the new show. And we got plenty of old episodes to go. So, no chance of running out of content anytime soon. Thank you so much Yay. for reaching out. Thank you. You guys know that we have the YouTube channel now, and we got another comment. We recently released a show that Albie called the Quantum Leap Requel, which I guess is the combination of Reboot Sequel. Um, We also played it on the feed, an audio version on the feed. But uh, Allison, I want you to read this comment.
3: All right, I will. (laughs) MST3K Nut says, I'm so excited that I found this channel, and it's with Pregler. The only woman my age who would understand my Stockwell crush. Looking forward to hearing all your thoughts on the new show when it comes out. Thanks, MST3K (laughs) nut.
0: Yeah, we love you, MST3K nut. Yet another Pregler fan. You
3: can't can't have a real crush unless you have a trierland portrait
0: (laughs) of you Stockwell, sorry. Uh, one day that will be, like, a whole YouTube special in itself. I know you've you've probably done it on Movie Nights already, though. So, oh, I've yeah. done
3: several <laughs> videos on the <laughs> – more videos than you would think should be dedicated to a dry portrait of <laughs> Dean Stockwell. It's a saga at this point. Uh, anyone who wants to check that out can find that on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Movie Nights, the series. It's your very own trilogy. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm really glad that uh, people are actually coming to the YouTube channel from uh, my posts about it and uh, discovering it through just, you know, looking through for uh, Quantum Leap and other things on YouTube. And uh, welcome, new listeners. Glad to have you.
0: I'll be a matter really busy over there. I promise I'll try to contribute something at some point that someone might be interested in. I don't know. But I'm no Allison Pregler, so don't hold me to the same standard, please, because <laughs> you're going to be disappointed. You just are. <laughs> so mst 3 nuts is just one of many comments that we have over there, and we have a growing community there as well, which I find very gratifying. So thank you all who tune into the YouTube channel, and if you're just finding us on this feed through that, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you would like to be like like... like these commenters. There are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can reach us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at quantum leap pod you can find us on youtube at youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast remember the the is in there and you can always go that extra mile and support us on patreon like jonathan melville and karen saxon at patreon.com slash quantum podcast just remember that we may use your response in an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and
2: speaking of upcoming episodes matt tell us what's next While Sam is going to be firmly cementing his role as a time traveling Lone Ranger, uh, when we revisit how the test was won.
3: Amazing intro! I can tell you really thought about that when you were scripting it. Okay. It's very yeah. good.
2: I love it. I never would have put those together. I've been watching that saga cell far too many times recently. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tess Widowmaker, we're back to Widowmaker. I believe that this Widowmaker.
0: is one of Allison's personal favorites, if I recall.
3: <laughs> we got to see Zeke, most important character on Quantum Leap.
0: <laughs> oh man, I'm stoked to talk about how the Tess castle's one. This is gonna be a fun one. <laughs> I hope so. I'm just going to tell you guys there's a metric butt ton of radios and how the test was won too, so I might be talking a little bit about some radios and stuff. So until then, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Allison Pregler, and I've been Matt Dale, and we'll see you next time on Whittlemaker.
1: Yeehaw! Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Morgan Felden, Charles Allen Gossard, and Joshua Burwald. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baronspace production.
0: How many freaking toilets are at Project Quantum Leap?